0: We are officially less than three weeks away from the start of the College Hoops season. we got a great episode ahead. GP and I breaking down some of the top players you need to know. But first... Just a heads up, if you want a fresh perspective on what's really happening in sports, we do have a brand new daily podcast to recommend at CBS Sports. It's called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. and features former Marlins president David Sampson decoding what's going on behind the scenes like when owners make a statement, when a coach tells a lie, when a star gets traded and much, much more. David's a guy that's won a World Series, lost 100 games and done everything in between. He'll break through the noise Monday through Friday for a podcast available for your drive home commute. So download and subscribe to Nothing personal with David Sampson on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find your podcasts.
1: Hey there, it's Scary It's Wednesday, October 16, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black man. Norland is here with me, and we are... Now, less than three weeks away from the start of the season. That's comes November fifth. Norlander and I are both going to be in New York City for the Champions Classic. That's Kansas against Duke, then Michigan State against Kentucky. It's for the top five teams in the CBS Sports preseason top twenty-five and one incredible doubleheader inside Madison Square Garden. So these days, um, we're basically just churning out preseason content, uh, one thing after another, after another. And earlier today. This morning, uh, the CBS Sports All-America teams published first team, second team, third team. Norlander, do yeah. you have any big complaints? Did we mess up anywhere?
0: Uh, well, it's our list, so I hope not. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Now, this wasn't a situation where it was just you, me, me. Kyle Boone, Kyle Porter, uh, our newest addition, uh, Emily Karen, Jerry Palm. We also have uh, a couple of writers from 247 Sports, and many of your colleagues at CBS Sports Network and uh, Big CBS, if you will, you know, the Clark Kelloggs and all that, vote on this. So it is our widest pool of voters that we do for the entire season, and so because of that, we sometimes get – Uh, results uh, overall that will differ from what you and I have. I'll be interested to see who you voted for and how different it is. But on the whole, Parrish, uh, I only have a couple of disagreements, and that's because of who I had on my ballot. I'll get to that in a a couple minutes. But I I think this is – I'm pretty good with it overall. As I was looking at it when I saw the results, and I wondered if you had the same reaction. While there's not a a lot of surprises, I think, on the first team, uh, maybe a debate for one player, maybe. Um, As you get into the second and third team, I I was looking at like, all right, so how should the how will these team seasons go? How will these players uh, stack up statistically and where could we be wrong? And I think there is the potential, GP, for a couple of guys for us to swing and miss on. But it wouldn't be like we aren't reaching on any of these players. Um, So for overall, I like them. Uh, Do you want to uh, have the honors of revealing the first team here before we get to uh, the second and third?
1: I would, I would love to, to okay. have the Okay. Take, the, take it away. The, the first team is Cassius Winston from Michigan State, and he will be uh, on ev- like literally everybody's first team. He was a first-team All-American last season. He's back in school, reigning Big Ten Player of the Year, most people's preseason National Player of the Year. You cannot have a first-team uh, All-America team heading into the 2019-20 season. That isn't headlined by Cassius Winston. Next to him in the backcourt, Miles Powell. Uh, from Seton Hall, Uh, then Marcus Howard from Marquette, Jordan Wara from Louisville, and Kerry Blackshear from Florida. So three guards, two forwards, and it is um, basically the team that I submitted. I had Cassius Winston, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, Kerry Blackshear, and then I had James Wiseman instead of Jordan Wara. So that would be the only difference. I had Jordan Wara as a second-team All-American, James Wiseman as a first-team All-American. The voting, once tallied, had James Wiseman as a second-teamer and uh, and uh, Jordan Wara as a first-teamer. And I'd, I'd like, listen, I'd, I don't think it's crazy to have the first five we have. I would just sub one player
0: out uh, for another. Yeah, I had more differences there. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. As for this, uh, as for this team, uh, Cassius Winston is consensus. Um, it just it's it's irrefutable. Marcus Howard. Should be borderline consensus. What will be interesting about Marcus Howard's case at the end of the season is will, you know, Gary, will he be an absolute stat monster where he is just validated on a first team regardless of Marquette's record? Remember, Marquette lost the Hauser brothers. They do bring back some good talent, but they are not projected to be a top four team in the Big East. So it's not impossible. Obviously, you can be a first team All American um, if your team isn't, you know, in that single digit NCAA tournament range. It's just harder. So it'll be interesting to track uh, Howard case all season long, whereas Miles Powell plays for a Seton Hall team that could have its best season literally in decades. He is so much fun to watch, and I understand that a lot of people listening to this podcast are, are probably familiar with him, but because Seton Hall has not been uh, continually in the NCAA tournament and factoring into the second weekend, he might be just the kind of player where you've heard about him maybe more than you've seen him. Uh, I do highly endorse watching Miles Powell play. He is, extre- he is tough, great scorer, great instincts, huge competitor, and um, I like this flavor. Seton Hall player, first team, preseason All-American. You rarely get that. He is very deserving of that. Uh, Nuora, I'll give it up right now. I had him as a third teamer. I I like his talent. He's the ACC preseason uh, player of the year, um, but ultimately I'm not convinced that he is going to wind up having the stat line compared with some other guys that I think are going to be a combination of both really good and on really good teams. So that's just you know a minor difference. He's a really really good player. I just had him on my third team, and then Blackshear at Florida. He's the one. I also, uh, Parrish, I submitted him on my third team. Blackshear is going to have a lot of talent around him. Florida should probably be uh, one of those teams that is in the top 15 of the AP, to- top 25 most of the season, maybe the entire season. We'll see how, you know, sometimes a loss early can kind of toss you out of that. But he's got. Great freshman, Scotty Lewis, Trey man, around him. Andrew Nembard is a, is a very good point guard. So how much will he factor into the team's success? So Blackshear, who was by far the most coveted, immediately eligible transfer on the market, um, I am I just wonder if if he'll be squeezed out. That's all. Florida should be good and he should put up good numbers. Uh, but he is actually the only player that made our first team where I think that we could look back in March and say, Blackshear's been good. Nembard's the best player scotty lewis is going to be the highest draft pick and so we might have reached just a little bit on him in the preseason yeah i could
1: buy that i mean i, I think he's a statistically a, a pretty rock solid choice but how often is a first team all-american not going to be the best player on his team it's possible possible that Kerry blackshear is not the best player on his team although obviously based on the, the way that i voted and the way that most of us voted um, we suspect that he will be the second team Uh, that we have is uh, Trey Jones, uh, the Duke point guard. Cole Anthony, the North Carolina point guard. Devon Dotson, the Kansas point guard. So three guards there, uh, followed by Isaiah Stewart, uh, the freshman likely one-and-done prospect at Washington. And then we, like I mentioned, got James Wiseman on the second team, even though I had Wiseman on the first team. If you're looking for some discrepancies there, I actually had Trey Jones as a third-teamer. And I can, like, looking back on it, like maybe that was – Maybe that was wrong. I, I can acknowledge that. Like he, he was very, very good for an excellent Duke team last season. Bit of a surprise um, for for some that he returned to school. I had Cole Anthony as a second teamer, so he's right where I had him. I had Devon Dodson as a third teamer, um, so you know, just a little bit off. Isaiah Stewart is actually. So we sent in a ballot with 15 players five first, five second, five third. Isaiah Stewart is the only team that made one of our teams that I didn't actually vote for. I didn't have him at all. Instead of him, I had Caleb Wesson from Ohio State on the third team. But again, the second team Trey Jones, Cole Anthony, Devon Dotson, Isaiah Stewart, James Wiseman. You cool with that?
0: I got to say, I love that we're talking this stuff, by the way. It's been a fun off season. a lot of big issues, important issues, but just getting into this kind of stuff, I'm I'm so ready for the season to start when we're getting into this. Um, I'm well, co- that
1: you enjoy it because we're about to do 48 <laughs> minutes on Name, Image, and Likeness again. I <laughs> I'm confident there's something I haven't said eighty thousand times you already so I want to get it I want to get it one more time oh
0: man uh we love the listeners and we hope that you are uh, embracing this as much as we are because I do like i'm I'm researching the one to three fifty three right now and it's fun it's real work like it's a slog, but i I do like I'm genuinely hyped for the start of the season um all right, so like you, I did not vote for Isaiah Stewart in fact um I think I'm colored by this, but I think that Jaden McDaniels will be the better freshman on his own team. So they both play for Washington. Uh, I, I just, I suspect that when we get to the end of the season, they will both be very good. They will both get Washington into the NCAA tournament, I think with room to spare, but I think we're going to look at them and while it will be close, say, if you could only have one of these two, who would you take? My stance is Jaden McDaniels. I did not vote for McDaniels to make any of the all American teams. and I did not vote for Isaiah Stewart. Um, I have tr- I voted Trey Jones to second team. Uh, I think you can make a case for Trey Jones for first second or third team. He's got an interesting case because he's probably acknowledged as behind Cassius, behind Powell and behind um, uh, uh, Marcus Howard as as the f- fourth best returning guard in college basketball it's probably right. So he just got squeezed. Like, you know, we try and assemble these lists, obviously, uh, to best replicate a lineup you could put on the floor. And, yes, in theory, and there are teams that do this, you can have a four-guard lineup that you can roll out there. But we usually try and max it to three guards uh, per team. So Trey Jones gets bumped down. Um, I'll reveal my f- – so my first team was Cassius Cole-Anthony, who made second team. Because I-, I think Cole-Anthony is going to – be a top three finalist for National Player of the Year. I think that North Carolina will rely on him so heavily that we're we're just going to look up, and I don't know if they're going to be right there for the ACC title or not, but we're going to say if this team did not have Cole Anthony, uh, it might be flirting with like an eight or nine seed as opposed to a th- two, three, or four seed. So Cole Anthony, Cassius Winston, Miles Powell, and then... Um, Two other players that actually made our third team. I voted for first team. I'll reveal them in a second. Then my second team was Marcus Howard, Devon Dotson, Trey Jones, James Wiseman, who I had on there. And then I'll give it up here. Killian Tilly. I voted for second team as long, and that's with an asterisk. As long as he can remain healthy, he had a minor knee uh, flush out kind of deal. He'll be ready to go in time for the start of the season. Um, but overall, I think that's probably accurate. You've got you've got Dotson. Uh, who is on a really, really loaded Kansas team, and I think that he's going to make a huge jump. I said what I said about Cole Anthony. Trey Jones, can he develop a jump shot? Can he be a top-five defender? And then Wiseman. You said you had Wiseman first. I don't have much issue with that. Um, my thing with Wiseman is I don't see how he falls out of the top five of the of the June 2020 draft. I've seen him be really good, and I've also seen him in person, you know, obviously before he got to Memphis, uh, be like, dude, you should be dominating this game right now, and it's just, it's just not happening. Um, so I just I, I want to see if he's continually good, GP. Uh, but you had Wiseman first, right? You had him on the first team, I heard that. Yeah, correctly.
1: but to your point, I mean, it's one of the points I've made many, many times is that, you know, we watch all these guys on the EWBL circuit. And in recent years, when you went and watched DeAndre Ayton, for instance, like he was dominant pretty much every Every single time, time yes. Um, you went and watched Marvin Bagley. His team sucked, but he was dominant pretty much every time out. You're exactly right about Wiseman. Like I, I've I've looked up in games before, or you just grab the box score and you go, Yeah, really? This is this is it? Like this is what you did? You're the, you're the, supposed to be the number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft, and you just got you know nine points, five rebounds in an EYBL game. Like uh, I, I clearly, I think he's going to be very very good, but I don't know that he will be as statistically awesome as Aiton was as a freshman, as Bagley was as a freshman. I, I'm I'm, I'm skept, optimistic, but skeptical.
0: I just have, and I do want to save a lot of this conversation that I'm about to just dip into for when we get closer to the season that can have a full-blown Memphis segment, but I just have some skepticism about where Memphis lands overall as a team, and if they are not a clear-cut best team in a good-not-great American, will that have an impact on Wiseman's case as a first-teamer? To be clear, I do think he's going to be good. I have him as a second-teamer. Um, but he does – I mean, Memphis has the number one recruiting class, so they got a lot around him. Uh, how much will they come to rely on the guards? Um I just I have said it before I'll say it again and I will repeat myself I know many times on this podcast Memphis is the most interesting team in college basketball for the season ahead for me because I think I have uh, more doubt about how good they will be than others I think they will be good I don't think it's going to be one of the five and probably not one of the 10 best teams in America always as always willing to be wrong Uh, but that was the biggest reason why I put Wiseman not just second team but if I'm completely honest with myself he was my final choice that I put on the second team
1: Another interesting development from this week, um, independent of the all America teams, is that the AAC Media Day was on Monday, and the head coaches in that league gave more first-place votes to Houston than they did Memphis. Now, it's interesting because—and how about this? Um, You tell me what it means, because people ask me nonstop, like, well, GP, what do you think this means? You tell me what it means, because here's the truth. You cannot find— a Las Vegas sports book that gives Houston better odds to compete for the national championship than Memphis. You really can't find any preseason rankings that have Houston above Memphis. Like people are wildly different on Memphis. Uh, You know, Seth Davis has the Tigers, I think as high as number six other places. They're in the twenties. People are all over the place on Memphis. I don't know anybody. I can't, I haven't seen a national ranking whether it's us, ESPN, The Athletic, anybody else, that has Houston above Memphis, and yet the American Athletic Conference coaches gave Houston more first-place votes than Memphis. What does that mean? Uh,
0: It means that, uh, first and foremost, Kelvin Sampson's coaching chops are that highly respected. I think it is... I believe that it is more respect to Sampson than it is disrespect to Penny. Um, But that is... That result is surprising and is very hard to validate. Um, I will not have, I'll, I mean, I'll, I won't i will give you the numbers right now, but I'm looking at my 1 to 353. I have Houston. Uh, they are 21 spots behind Memphis in my rankings, and I might mildly tinker it before that stuff gets revealed next week. But while it can grow into a situation where Houston is seen as equal or better than Memphis at, uh, you know, you know, two, three, four weeks into the season, given how much Houston lost last season, to me, it is borderline unreasonable to project that Houston will be better than Memphis uh, purely based on on three things. One, the amount of production Houston lost from a season ago, okay, which is significant. They lost almost 50% of their minutes. Two, uh, Memphis... uh, irrefutably has so much more talent than Houston. And that talent doesn't always win out, but here it is stark, okay? And then three, it's not as though uh, Memphis wasn't solid last season. Penny's first season on the job. Won 22 games, didn't make the tournament, but I would I would argue that Memphis overachieved versus expectations heading into last year. So you combine those three factors here um, – to me, it's it's too hard of a sell to say that Houston should be getting as many or more votes to win the league than Memphis, but nevertheless, uh, the coaches in the league who have gone up against Kelvin Sampson for more years than they've gone up against Penny Hardaway clearly think that uh, regardless of roster, Houston uh, will be the superior team. Uh, I'll tag it with this. I actually think Cincinnati is going to win the league because I think they have the best player. We'll get to that in a minute, um, and I understand that Cincinnati can be a hard sell as well, but I was, GP, you bring up an interesting storyline. I'm sure that's playing huge right now in your city, but uh, to me, I just can't buy it, Houston over Memphis.
1: A, 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 a few different things. One, I do think it is um, how much coaches believe in Kelvin Sampson. I think I think part of it is that um, it, you know Kelvin's obviously terrific. Um, I, I do think some of it's obviously skepticism with a, a second-year head coach, and I think a lot you know at Memphis, and then I think a lot of it is people just don't know what to do with Memphis because it is not only the, the most fascinating story in college basketball in this season; it is in a lot of ways an unprecedented story um you know uh, for instance uh, how often does an nit team enroll the number one recruiting class in america it's not, never happened not very yeah it, you know i it, it has happened but it's it's really
0: it, it's happened before i guess wait maybe kentucky when they went uh,
1: like boom kentucky after 2000 boom. you know after Nerland snow year right okay. i would assume that
0: okay. it qualifies
1: so it, it it's not it's not uh, unprecedented but it's rare um how often does a second year coach enroll the number one recruiting class in America. I actually do think that had never happened before. Right. Um, how often does a second-year coach, at any level, win a league, again, in his second season ever as a college head coach, when there's two other Final Four head coaches in his league? They, like, has that ever happened? Uh, uh, um, yeah. If you start If you start five freshmen, how often has a team that started five freshmen ever won a conference championship? I actually know the answer to that. Zero. It's never happened. In fact, a team starting five freshmen has never gotten better than a five seed in the NCAA tournament. Never. The Fab Five were a five or a six seed. Um, nobody's ever gotten better than a five seed start, primarily starting five freshmen. But two teams primarily starting five freshmen have played the national championship game. So, like, that can cut either way. But uh, there's a whole lot of stuff in play here that is just, you know, we, we're not used to dealing with it. Like, it's a pretty good sample size of what happens when Duke enrolls the number one class in america what happens when kentucky enrolls in the one class in america there really is no um nothing to point to when it what happens when a guy who was a high school coach two years ago enrolls the number one recruiting class in america coming off of an nit in a league that operates outside of the traditional power structure like good, good luck trying to find something to point to there's nothing there like we are in uncharted waters here. And so I think some of it is people just don't know what to do with Memphis. And then some of it is the belief in Kelvin Sampson. You're exactly right. They lost a lot from last season's team. But guess what they did the year before? Awesome. Lost a lot yeah. from that season's team, too. They lost three of their top five players from the 2017-18 team. Came back and won the AAC. Went 16-2 and in the league. They lost three of their top five scores off of last season's team. So really, in a, and let me be very clear. Give me a ballot, I'm voting Memphis. They're the obvious favorite based on the talent and the program. And I, I'm not as skeptical as Penny as maybe some other people are in his ability to, to maximize uh, this talent. To your point, Memphis did overachieve last season based off of preseason uh, expectations. Um, so I would pick Memphis. But if you're trying to argue the other side, you'd say we're not asking Kelvin Sampson to do anything that he hasn't already done. All we're asking him to do is go win a league after losing three of his top five players. He did that literally a year ago. Whereas you're asking Penny Hardaway to do a lot of things that he ain't never done. And that's um win a league, win a league with two other Final Four coaches, win a league with uh, five freshman starters. Like not only are you asking him to do things he's never done, you're asking him to do things that have never uh, been done. So it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But that was uh, clearly – I think you could argue the most surprising media day you know, prediction poll thing that has um, surfaced – whether you're talking about Big Ten, ACC, yeah. S- anything. like uh, Memphis is clearly ahead of Houston in every preseason national ranking, and yet when the AAC coaches were asked to vote on it, uh, they vote Houston won more often than they vote Memphis won. Although, technically speaking, Memphis and Houston both ended up with the same amount of points in the poll, so they're co-favorites, right. even if Houston got more first-place votes. Let's move on to the third team. Okay. Um, our third team, uh, after all the votes were tallied, comes out like this. Anthony Edwards, Georgia. Um, Ayu Dasumu from Illinois, Jaron Cumberland from Cincinnati, you mentioned him earlier, Killian Tilly from Gonzaga, and Yudoka Azabuki from Kansas. What's interesting there is we've got two players who were largely hurt last season um, as third-team All-Americans, Killian Tilly and Yudoka Azabuki, and they both had way different 2018-19 seasons. With Azabuki, you know, last year was the end of Kansas' string of Big 12 titles, and and, you know, that team went from, I think, preseason number one to, like, yeah. you know, not winning a Big 12 title. And there's a lot of explanations for it. But the biggest one is that Yudoka suffered a season-ending injury. You know, he played, I think, nine games last season. You know what the record was with him?
0: It wasn't 9-0? And oh?
1: and they never lost with him. Yeah. Um. On You know, when he played, they never lost. In fact, let me make sure I've got this exactly right um they were 9 and 0 with him 17 and 10 without him and so what the Kansas staff would tell you is that Dedrick Lawson was their best player but Doke was was so important in everything they did and so i think i actually voted him a second team all american i'm fine with him being on third team but he is an awesome college basketball player a real difference maker and all you got to do is look at the you know how how Kansas' season went last year. When they had him, they were great. When they didn't, um, they were something less than that. And then the other one, Killian Tillie. You know he um, missed basically all of November and December last season. Finally returned, played 15 games, but he was never the player that he was the year before. He didn't either. He wasn't healthy enough to be that guy, or he just you know. When, when your teammates are together every day through November, December, and then you just sort of pop in, it can be hard to find your rhythm. It can be hard to find a place in the rotation. You know, he entered last season as Gonzaga's leading returning score. And then last season, again, after missing much of November, December, if not all of it, um, he ends up playing 15 games. He only averages 6.2 points per game. So I, I wonder how common this is. For a junior in college to average 6.2 points per game, and be an All-American in the preseason, the next season. That can't be normal.
0: It's not normal. Um, I voted uh, – yeah, so I voted Tilly second team. Uh, Mark Few has maintained for two years that um, the whole package when healthy, killing Tilly has been the most talented player uh, on the team, and he would include that with Rui because he's including both sides of the floor there, and Rui Hachimura didn't improve much on the, on the defensive side. Uh, and Gonzaga <laughs> Better
1: put some respect on Brandon Clark's name. Brandon
0: Clark has been great, defensively amazing. Uh, d- d- you sat with me at that HQ desk on draft night. There was no one that was more in on Brandon Clark than me, I think, in America. Uh, but Few has a a huge belief in Tilly, and if he can stay healthy, um, and Gonzaga is going to be in that you know top 10 to 15 for most of the season in the polls, um, he'll probably have a chance there. So I had him second team. We have uh, Azabuki. He was the one where I took a, I took a chance. I had Azabuki as a first teamer. Um, I think that he will be the most dominant big man in college basketball this season. So I put him on the first team thinking that and thinking that Kansas will be a one seed in spite of or despite all of the noise that will inevitably come with all the NCAA stuff. That was tossed completely to the side. I think Kansas is going to be a really, really, really good team and I think Azubuki is going to be a dominant force down low, which also means, by the way, if you've been keeping track here, we have 15 players on three teams represented by 14 teams. Kansas is the only team with multiple players on the list. You've got Dotson, second team, Azubuki, third team. My other first teamer uh, that made the third team was uh, Jeron Cumberland at Cincinnati. Uh, I think that he has a shot. Uh, John is the new coach there. Really talented coach, did great things at Northern Kentucky. If he completely gives Cumberland the keys... I think he's got a shot to lead the nation in scoring. Uh, if that happens and Cincinnati is a top three team in the American, I don't see how he isn't a first team uh, All-America at the end of the season. So he made my first team, makes the third team here. Anthony Edwards is a guy who uh, I think he is going to be a lot of fun. I am I I voted him third team, Parrish. Um, Georgia should probably make strides. Um, I think Georgia will be in the tournament, um, but I don't know. Uh, third team seems about right. Uh, there are a few freshmen: Cole Anthony, Edwards. Some could say Stewart. Some could say Wiseman. Those are the four uh, that uh, that made our that made our list. Uh, that are kind of going to be in the running for for freshman of the year overall. Um, they're in very different situations, uh, but Edwards as a third teamer I think is the is the safe pick. Um, so you mentioned, by the way that Stewart was the only name of the 15 you submitted that did not make the list. Uh, no, he
1: is the only name that made the list that I did not submit.
0: I, yeah, sorry. Stri- <laughs> Willie Wonka, strike that, reverse it. Um, I had two names submitted uh, that didn't make the list. So um, my third team was Edwards, Jordan Wara, Gary Blackshear Jr., and then two point guards. Uh, I voted Anthony Cowan to third team. Because I think at the end of the season, two things are going to happen. Maryland is going to be in the conversation for a two or a three seed. And when that happens, I think that Cowan is going to be viewed as more valuable than Jalen Smith. Um but Cowan was my final submission because I almost wonder if they're going to just knock each other out, so to speak, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Maryland's going to be the clear number two to Michigan State in that conference, and Cowan's going to finally, I've been waiting two years on this kid, uh, break through to a significant level. And then the other one, this, this guy was awesome in international play uh, over the summer. He was among the most efficient players in all of college basketball last season and is already putting, in one season, already put up assist-to-turnover ratio numbers that uh, were competing uh, with one of the best players to ever do it, not just at the program, but in the history of college basketball. I'm kind of tipping my hand a little bit here because um, Monty Morris did it at Iowa State two years ago, and now I think Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a freaking stud. So I had him on my third team. I think he didn't make the all america teams uh, on the site because Iowa State is not projected to be uh, first, second, third, or fourth in the Big 12. Absent of that, will he be good enough to validate it? I think Iowa State's going to be one of the more surprising teams because I think people are undervaluing them, and I love, love, love Halliburton's game. think he's fantastic. By the way, his offensive rating last season, 136.8. Third best in America, shot 43% from three-point range, so he is my like quasi-sleeper pick. Floor is yours. Right.
1: Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, we've got 15 players... On three different teams. Fourteen players uh, come from different teams. We've got two from uh, the same team, that would be Kansas. If I now gave you, and perhaps you just went through your answer to this question, but if I now gave you an opportunity to name the player we did not have on our All American teams who is most likely to make us regret that decision, who would you go with? Is it Halliburton?
0: I think, uh, yeah, I think it's Halliburton. I, I I because of everything I just I just laid out there um, I I don't know man if you watch to me if you watch Halliburton play if you watch him play as a freshman I know he had more talent around him that's going to be the biggest thing is he's not going to have much talent this season. But uh, to me, he is going to make a first- to second-year kind of jump, um, not like John ja Morant, but just in that, like, when John ja Morant was a freshman, he put up really good numbers, and so when he was doing what he was doing as a sophomore, you could go back and look, and even Matt McMahon said this in multiple interviews, he's like, if you looked at what Ja was doing as a freshman, like, this isn't totally shocking. He was really productive, really efficient. If we looked up in January and saw that Halliburton was leading the nation in assists or was top three in that and was just, uh, you know, Obviously a first round pick, it wouldn't stun me. So he is my most likely pick, but having said that, one, I'll give you another player, and two, I'm curious who your player might be overall because there's there's a number of picks. I don't know if you if you'll say if it's you mentioned that you had Wesson. Um I don't know if you if you'll think it's Wesson because he was the one that got left off. Maybe maybe not. My other pick that I think would be most likely I guess I I lean more than anyone else. Oh man, I, this you might think this is nuts, but Tyrese Maxey, what if he's so awesome what? for Kentucky and they bring back two guards? That that's why I didn't vote for him cuz they never almost ever Gary. They never almost never bring back two guards, but they did this year, Hagans and Quickly. But Maxey is a freaking Dynamo he's really really good and if we get To a situation where Kentucky is better than Florida and we look at them I could see him being the one where It's like we just didn't See it coming but how can you not have a Kentucky player represented and I think that he would be most Likely uh, to be that guy but that's Just a guess
1: literally the top of my list When I put together a list of of People that could make us look dumb I, I didn't necessarily go with Maxie Though that is the guy I would go with but like Who's Kentucky's best player like, we don't have a Kentucky player listed. Kentucky is going to be a top 10 team. Kentucky is probably going to win the SEC, although um, Florida is another totally reasonable answer there. But if we just assume Kentucky is going to be as good as Kentucky usually is, well, then somebody's going to be Kentucky's best player. And Kentucky's best player is probably going to be an All American to some degree. And so. Yeah, I would assume it's Tyrese Maxey. But if you told just hey, whoever Kentucky's best player is is going to be a first, second, or third team All American. So like, yeah. let, let's just figure out who that is. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, Duke's second best player. If we're going to call Trey Jones Duke's best player,
0: and I'm not sure he will be. I think we have. I think we have to call him their best player. But... Okay.
1: Let's let's call him that. But but who's their second best player? And 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 and. And, and and given that that person has a chance to be the best, another Duke player would I, I would say some it, it could be Vernon Carey, it could be Matthew Hurt, um but some Duke player is go- like Duke always has two players who post great numbers. Yeah, it's often only two, but <laughs> but it is it was, which is sort of Cam Reddish's problem last season. But it is um it it's always two. They've had at least two players average more than 15 points per game in seven straight seasons. So let's say that Trey Jones is one of those guys. Somebody else is averaging more than 15 points per game for a Duke team that's preseason top five. That guy probably will be an All-American.
0: In theory, although I'm a big seller on Duke and we'll save that for down the road, you're not incorrect. There's two more guys that I would include here. Sam Merrill is the overwhelming favorite to be player of the year in the, in the Mountain West for a second consecutive season. If Utah State winds up being like a five seed and Merrill put, post big numbers, he's going to be like a third or second team All-American. Can't ignore him. And then the other, like, strong potential to be the best player in a power conference has to be considered. Um, I know that a lot of people don't know who McKinley Wright is, but he is uh, he is going to – I think that he will be a first-round draft pick in 2020. Uh, plays for Colorado, really good player. He's the other one where just if we look up in Colorado, which is expected to be pretty good, if they're like a four or five seed and McKinley writes the Pac 12 player of the year, he could easily sneak in the back door. So just wanted to give proper credit to a couple other names that could, could easily pop up. AO at. Uh at Illinois I disagree with I think that he will be good but he was the one where I just I didn't you must you voted for him as well I guess you must have put him on third team but I don't I don't he is a good NBA talent and he is a fun college player I just have skepticism that when we get to the end of the season uh he's going to crack there and be a third teamer.
1: That that's fine. Um a couple of other names that by the way like we we sort of dove into the AAC earlier um another league that's interesting at the top Pac 12. They got four teams that you could reasonably say are going to win the league. Yeah, I, I don't think there's an. I'm not sure if there's another prominent league where you can say that about it. Like, okay, like we we could debate Memphis or Houston in the AAC, but it's probably going to be Memphis or Houston, or you know, to you, maybe Cincinnati. You maybe you got it right, but like, there's no way you'd go outside of those three teams to try to find a um, a, a conference champ. Um, in the SEC, you could go Florida or Kentucky. But you're almost certainly going to go Florida or Kentucky, not somebody else. In the Pac-12, I think when we did our preview, we had our individual ballots, and some people had Oregon Mm -hmm. finishing first, and I think that's me. Um, Some people had Arizona. Some people had Washington. And some people had Colorado. So I think you could reasonably pick any of those four um, to win the league, and then sure, um, whichever one does – that best player is going to be up for All-America honors, right? So it could be McKinley Wright. Nico Mannion is another one yep. I came up with, a one-and-done point guard at Arizona who is probably going to be a, you know, a lottery pick in the 2020 NBA draft. He's somebody who could make us look stupid. Either of the Washington freshmen – well, I guess we've got Isaiah Stewart on it, so it, it would have to be McDaniels, but right. um, you know, perhaps there. Um, or um, Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard, at, yeah. At yeah, at Oregon, like he could be the best player on a top ten team, and if he's that, then you are you're going to be in the conversation for all America honors.
0: Well, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting, and you're getting a nice uh, listeners are getting a good tease for what we were gonna run this week, but we're gonna make you wait, and uh, we're gonna run it next week. Uh, our top 101 players. A lot of the guys we've discussed here are obviously players that are going to fall within the top 20, um, but uh, but keep an eye out for that. The voting has concluded, and we have that list settled, and uh, we'll wait and uh, we'll wait and see. Hey, GP. Yo, I hear. Um, there's some coaches who uh, who might be on the hot seat. You hearing, yeah, you, you hearing that's similar? That's true.
1: I, I read the same thing you read. So we'll get to that momentarily. Hot seat talk. But first, check this out.
0: Sports may be taking a hiatus right now, but the fantasy football season never stops. And neither does the Fantasy Football Today podcast. We're giving you three episodes per week during the offseason with Dynasty Talk, Mock Drafts, NFL Draft Previews, and your emails and tweets. So download and subscribe to Fantasy Football Today wherever you listen to podcasts and start winning your fantasy league right now. There are no sports going on right now. None. i never imagined times like this happening, but here we are. And because we're all in this together, nothing personal with David Sampson
1: carries on. We will carry on every Monday through Friday. We will keep breaking down
0: this widespread and lasting impact of the coronavirus and provide updates and insight on these unprecedented events. I mean, in my 18 years as president of a Major League Baseball team, I saw some crazy stuff, but nothing quite like COVID-19. It's brought the live sports world to its knees. And I promise to decode the BS in sports. And that's never been more true than right now. You need to know what's happening. Download and subscribe to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else podcasts are found. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal.
1: So, uh, one day last week, you know, we get these emails and they got these documents in them and you click on it and it's like, uh, hey, here's the preseason plan. And uh, I I guess you're supposed to print it out and put it on your wall or something. (laughs) I I don't do that. Neither do and I. So, so sometimes things sneak up on me, and I was looking at it uh, late last week, and it said uh, for Monday, October fourteenth, uh, coaches on the hot seat, perish. and I, and I was like, well, that's my last name, so it probably indicates I'm supposed to be doing this, but I don't remember ever having this conversation. <laughs> because I've made it clear in the past, I don't like doing these. I just don't – for a variety of reasons we can get into. I just don't like doing them. And so in recent years, I've either done it differently.
0: No, no, no. Like, in, in recent years, I've done them.
1: Okay. <laughs> Let's well, be clear there here.
0: Was, there was one time
1: – maybe this was three years ago – where they were like, hey, you know, coach on the hot seat. It's preseason. Got to have a hot seat. And I said, yo, like – um, we just had, a, like, four assistant coaches get arrested. It was two
0: years ago, yes, two years ago okay. this happened. Yes. And I
1: said, hey, rather than do a traditional, like, hot seat <laughs> list, why don't I just write a column about how the hot seat's flipped upside down? You know, the uh, um, used to, if you're a winner, you're fine, but now you could be a winner on a wiretap, so you might not be fine. And um, if you are a loser, boy, you're in bad shape. But, man, maybe an AD would like to hold on to a, a average coach if, if, you know, that guy's not on a wiretap. And so that was just my, like, little Weasley way. Of oh, you spun around.
0: it. You spun it brilliantly. I don't deny uh, that. Whatever.
1: Right. Okay. So um, I look at this guy. I, I text our, our editor, Marcus, Nelson, the great Marcus Nelson. Nobody works harder than Marcus Nelson. That man's That's He's correct. always in there. He's always in there just, like, grinding <laughs> it out. So I, I text him. I'm like, yo, I saw my name next to the uh, hot seat thing. Does that mean I'm supposed to do the hot seat thing? as if it could mean literally anything else, right? What else could it possibly mean? But I was like, I was, I was trying to still get myself, give away, uh, get away, get a way out. And he was like, yeah, you know, just um, we don't need, you know, that the, uh, uh, you know, which uh, Sunbelt coaches are on the hot seat. And I was like, good, because Jeff Goodman's got that covered. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. we <don't, laughs> we, we don't, so we don't need to worry about it. He's got the Southern Conference hot seat covered and the ch- chain of command. <laughs> yes.
0: Many <laughs> hey, chains. if
1: you want to yes. know what the – What the fifth best job in the 28th worst league is? That's your guy. That's your guy. So I said, cool. Okay, so we'll let Goodman handle all that part. Uh, I'll just basically focus on the uh, power conferences. So I put together a hot seat list, Norlander. Yes. And, of course, I spent the first 250 words
0: explaining why. (laughs) You could not. I mean – well, all right, and I do, let's get to the names here and a, and a gif and uh, and get this podcast done because who knows when my youngest son's going to wake up. But I will say this. Two years ago, you had pulled that move, which was brilliant, but like four of the other five previous seasons, it was on me, and I don't mind it whatsoever. Actually, I do mind it. It's, not, it's, it's just not a fun thing to write because the coaches know about it, agents, athletic directors, and then it's like, why are you doing this? Well, because it's, unfortunately, it is part of the discourse of the sport, okay? Sure. It just, it is a, it is... Fan bases—they will have, uh, you know, ebbs and flows, and there are coaches that are not idiots. They know that when they enter a certain season, um, if they do not perform to a certain level, their job is going to be in jeopardy. So when I saw that same budget, I reached out to our terrific editor Marcus and I said, "Thank you, um, <coughs> thank, thank you for giving this. I did not ask to be moved off it. I thanked him for for giving it to you." And I said, if for whatever reason uh, it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll do it if I have to. But I would really – I I did tell him, I was like, I would just strongly prefer just this year have Parrish do it. I'll do it next year, okay, Parrish. But it, I know the first 250 words of this freaking hot seat column are how much you don't want to write it. <laughs>
1: but- <laughs> which, which is like I, I as I'm doing it, I'm like, um, okay, well, I was assigned this and, and by an editor who um, – is now going to read this, and basically the the, the the first 20% of it is me explaining how much I wish I didn't have to do this. It's like It's like you're doing what your boss tells you to do, but the whole time explaining why you don't want to do it. And I should be clear, um, our bosses, our editors are awesome in the sense that they they let me do what I want to do. You know they don't really push me to do things I don't want to do, or prevent me from doing things that I do want to do. You know, we work for CBS. CBS has a literally billion dollar contract with the NCAA, and so every once in a while, I have somebody ask me, um, "Yo, has that ever gotten dicey?" Like, because I am constantly murdering the NCAA, and we are technically business partners with the NCAA. And if you like look at just what happened at ESPN over the past couple of weeks, right, where You know, they're getting memos. Hey, don't talk about politics in China. Um, I saw a report where Zach Lowe wanted to have um, an expert on Chinese, I don't know, just somebody to hopefully try to, to further explain or add context to the dicey situation between the NBA and ESPN. And, again, according to the report, like, Zach was told, no, like, you're not going to have that person on your podcast. We're not going to spend any time on this. And so every once in a while, given that that kind of stuff does happen in our profession, um, people will ask me, yo, listen, anybody ever told you, calm down, like lighten up or leave it alone? And I swear to God, hand to heart, the answer is no, never. I've never had any of our bosses say, GP, we're business partners with the NCAA, like just can you we're not asking you to to say something's great when it's not but maybe you could just like not shit on it for the 50th time this month (laughs) like just leave it alone i've never had that happen so i have an immense amount of respect for um for our editors because um again they allow me to do largely what i want to do and they don't prevent me from doing it um when i want to do it and so i feel ridiculous like saying no I, i like I, I guess I could have just said nah, I don't want to do it. But I like ultimately, I'm an employee. I have bosses. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the, I'm gonna do what I'm told to do. And so uh, I did it to the best of my ability. But also explained like this is it's because it's not just that coaches see it. Of co- coaches can see most of the stuff we do. Most of the coaches see most of the stuff that we do. It's that um, I know every one of these guys. I, I know I, in lots of cases I know their wives. You know, I know their kids. And I just sort of, I think sometimes the best way to understand um, what something is like for somebody is to put yourself in their shoes. And, like, imagine if somebody, like, did a hot seat podcast host <laughs> list, right? And it'd be like, you know, I, 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 you, you know, GP got off to a nice start at CBS, but over the past couple of years, you know, every once in a while I notice that the volume's not quite right. And, you know, like, if he doesn't have a great podcasting year this year, well, that could be the end of it. He could be doing chain of, chain, uh, chain of commands <laughs> you know, come 2020, right? You just don't know. Uh, like that would that would, that would would drive me crazy. And so the idea that I didn't have to turn around and do it to other people, I don't enjoy it. But I did do it, and my only rule is this. No cheap shots, no jokes. I just write about it um, based on nothing but facts and an understanding of – what kind of guys get to keep their jobs and what kind of guys don't get to keep their jobs. And so with that long winded, mostly unnecessary setup, let me ask you this, Norlander. Yes. Think of this as what do they call it? did in game, like a survival pool or whatever. Yes. If I, if you had to pick one guy on this list, And, by the way, the guys on the list, they're not that unique. That's the other thing about these lists. It's always the same people, largely. Right. But it's Pat Chambers at Penn State, Jim Christian at Boston College, Tim Jankovic at SMU, Dave Lato at DePaul, Danny Manning at Wake Forest, Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech, um, and Shaka Smart at Texas. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven coaches. Of those seven, which one would you bet two paychecks – does not return at their current school next season.
0: Not only will I answer that, I actually uh have these coaches listed out in terms of what I think is uh most the least likely to get canned or, you know, the level of of the pressure they're under. So to answer your question directly, Parrish, um, Danny Manning is my answer because what I did was I looked at each of the coaches the likelihood they get canned, uh, and weighed that against the chances that their their team overachieves to the extent where they make the tournament or just are, are strong enough. Um, you lucked out this year, by the way. There are only seven guys, as you mentioned, in the major seven conferences, if you will, that are reasonably under this. I because when you posted it, I went through. I was like, is it really only seven? And then well, I went, it could be more. But here's what's interesting. Uh, it could be more because of the FBI. Yeah, right? but, it, like, just, right, so ignore that. But, the, like, the FBI is a thing that's out there. I get all that, okay? But I,
1: I, 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 like, concluded the column with that, like, because here's the thing. I think Bill Self, Sean Miller, Will Wade, Bruce Pearl, I think they're all essentially in the same boat. Like, they're dealing with different stuff, but I think they're on the same boat. If their schools wanted to make a change, would have already done it. They don't want to. And so unless the NCAA forces their hand with show calls penalty suspension or both, those guys are going to keep their jobs. I'm not saying they will keep their jobs, but they will keep their jobs unless the NCAA makes them. I agree. And, I then, g- and then um, there, there's some other guys I could throw on there. But what's interesting is, like, you look at the leagues, SEC, zero. Yeah. Nobody, nobody Unless Bruce gets caught up in this FBI thing, and again, I don't think he will, um, everybody in the SEC is going to be back.
0: No, you're you're correct. So if you look around, that's that was what surprised me when I looked at this. I was like, there will. And let me be clear: when we get to March, um, I don't think that the carousel is going to be exceptionally slow, but it is setting up heading into a season to be as uh, as slow as it's ever been. Uh, one more thing on the on the FBI NCAA stuff, also because. The, we're going to get all these NOAs that come out before the end of the season, but the schools are going to fight them. So it's not impossible to to envision, uh, you know, uh, Miller or Self or Will Wade or, or, or Andy Enfield. Let's be, you know, let's be quote unquote fair to all the coaches who had assistants arrested and all that stuff. Um, for the schools to take action once that happens. But they're going to fight back on it. And so if you if you wind up with any coach getting uh, a year show cause, a 20-game suspension, getting fired or whatever, I just don't think that's happening until the off season. Okay, real quick here. Here's how I rank them of the seven that you mentioned. Uh, most to least likely to be fired at the end of the season. I put Danny Manning 1 at Wake Forest. I put Pat Chambers, two at Penn State, and the reason why I have Chambers at two, one, he is in, he is approaching some sort of record here. He has been at a power conference program. Granted, it's Penn State where the expectations are at ankle level. I get all of that. But he is now in year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He is in year nine. I honestly don't know if there are more than one or two men in the history of men's Division One college basketball who have been... At a power conference program, gone nine consecutive years without making the NCAA tournament and have held their job to enter year number 10. The other reason why I put him two is I personally am more down on Penn State than just about anyone. They were 14 and 18 last season. They bring back a really, really, really good player in Lamar Stevens. I just don't think that Penn State's going to be a top seven or eight team in the league. If and when that happens, I can see them splitting ways. I have him too. I have Dave Leto at three. He's got a weird situation. DePaul's not going to be good again. They did get Charlie Moore immediately immediately eligible. He previously of Kansas and previously of Cal. But if DePaul is ninth or 10th in the Big East again, I understand that they're trying to restructure his contract. They they need to reboot. Uh, But he's got a weird situation. Nevertheless, I have him at 3. I have Jim Christian at Boston College 4. It's going to be an interesting season because they unfortunately... Don't have Kai Bowman, who left early. They lost Winston Tabs, their best player for the season, to an injury. They bring in Derek Thornton. Um, if if BC has another sub-500 season like last season, I think it's more likely than not to do Christian Goes. Jankovic at five. He was the only name, Parish, on your list that surprised me only in that I just his, uh, his status wasn't on my radar. It is only year four. He did win 30 games his first season. But if it really went south, I mean, it's it's clearly his weakest roster yet. Um, might they have a change? I don't think so. But if it went really, really south, I don't know. We wait and see. Uh, six. Oh no, sorry. Um, I, I missed. I jumped ahead. I have Shaka at five. Jankovic at six. Shaka at five only because I think Texas is going to be good. I think they're going to make the tournament and he'll be fine. If they don't... I don't see how there's not a change, uh, personally. Um, but that said, I have him lower because I don't think that they're gonna fail. I think Texas is gonna be good. Then I have Jankovic at six, and then I have Passner at seven. He's the only one where I disagree on because Passner um, was weird. This is a super weird case. Georgia Tech, uh, it's uh, appealing his postseason ban. Who knows if it'll win or whatever. But Passner wasn't as a coach hit with anything with that. When you have a program that is hit as hard as Georgia Tech. As much as it is, and the coach gets nothing. That's extremely rare. I actually think that it would take a ton for him to get fired here. That's the only name you have listed where uh, I I think he's at almost no risk of being fired this season.
1: Yeah, on, on Pastner, I don't think we ever got into it on the podcast. But like, I was shocked, and I got text messages from other coaches who were shocked he didn't get hit personally the way that Bill Self is is you know been hit by the NCAA, and we assume Sean Miller will uh, as well. Um, I mean, it was his close friend committing the violations, you know, like usually when we have, you know, these quote rogue boosters, uh, there's somebody the coach probably knows, but it's not like somebody the coach is in communication with 15 times a day, like the idea that. You're, somebody you have identified publicly as a dear friend and a close friend and one of your best friends and your family spend time together, and that guy is flying your players to Arizona. And even if you didn't know, the odds and, – and reasonable minds can disagree on that – but the, the idea that you wouldn't be held accountable for that on some level was, was – surprising to me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I was surprised by that. And I had other coaches in the industry uh, text or call and be like, how did he not get hmm. um, any individual charges uh, given that the guy doing a lot, like he had a staff member doing this and a close friend doing this and he didn't get hit at all. So whatever. But like my bottom line on Josh would be when you're not winning and you've got NCAA problems, like that's a terrible combination And the truth is, I do think Georgia Tech's a tougher job than maybe people realize. Um, It is a job where people have been successful, not as successful maybe as the perception is, but you can win there and he hasn't won there. And and that's a problem. Uh, Let's go back to the other end, though. Um, The very first coach you mentioned is the one, and I don't say this with any joy, but it is the one I have the least confidence that he's going to be back. And that's uh, Danny Manning. I mean, he has now been at Wake Forest. Uh, this will be a 60 year. He's never finished better than 10th in the ACC. And this is another job that is um, tougher than it's ever been. You know, wherever Wake Forest was in the pecking order of the ACC once upon a time, it became different when Louisville came to the ACC, when Syracuse comes to the uh, ACC. So it's gotten pushed down a little bit. It's a harder job than the job that Dave Odom had. It's a harder job than the job Skip Prosser had. But at some point, if you're at a place that, you know, where Tim Duncan played, where Chris Paul played, and you're not even sniffing the NCAA tournament, um, you know, that's the type of place where a change gets made. And um, it's the type of place where a change gets made and the, you know, the details are, are largely irrelevant. He lost two players two years ago um, to the NBA draft, even though they didn't get drafted. Like that's a career changing thing, but it, it, it is what it is um, on the rest. of These guys um you mentioned Pat Chambers entering year 10, or, or no, entering year 9, yeah. never made the NCAA tournament. Bill Carmody actually spent 13 years at Northwestern without ever making the NCAA tournament. So it's not unprecedented, uh, but it is rare. At some point, your school just changes for the sake of change. And then uh, the last person I would touch on is Shaka. Um, clearly, it hasn't gone the way anybody wanted it to go or expected it to go. I would say he been there four years, lost his leading scorer midseason. Mm-hmm. Two of those four years? Like, I think that matters. Um, f- forget that he loses Jackson Hayes a year earlier than he ever could have thought because that stuff happens to lots of people but like losing your leading score mid-season first to like a suspension transfer thing uh, the other time to freaking leukemia like those are unfortunate cards and so I'm still a believer in Shaka what I would what I would do if I were him I think because it doesn't matter how many times I say that the fans are restless I mean they fired Rick Barnes after he went to Um, 16 NCAA tournaments in a 17-year span. So when you miss the tournament twice in your first four years, that's not great. But the details do matter. Either way, the fans won't care. If I were Shaka, and I'd leave it with this, I'd try to bounce in the NCAA tournament, and then I'd try to bounce. I'd try to get in the NCAA tournament this year, and then get me a fresh start somewhere else. Because when you are on a list like this, you're always, or usually you're one bad year from... From getting got like even if this year is good if the next yeah. year is bad boom that'll be it if i were Shaka, i'd try to get to the instantly tournament and then i try to find best job i could get
0: i don't disagree shaka will be the most interesting one to track all season long uh just a heads up as we head out here we will have our player of the year freshman of the year and coach of the year also go up this week on the cbs sports app and cbsports.com keep an eye out for that and then obviously we will uh we will be back to chat with you next week
1: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, subscribe to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. That is the best place to make sure you're going to get it shot right to your phone as quickly as possible. So please go there subscribe. It takes a second. If you got an extra second, leave a nice comment, rate it five stars, and we will talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.
0: the combat podcast the brian campbell and while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until tony ferguson and habib Nurmagomedov met off touch gloves at ufc 249 the soc is still moving along two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix what can you expect the same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC, available on Apple Pod, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere fine audio is found.
1: Tell them BC sent you.